0: As a lot of people, I've always loved true crime, you know, like Netflix and you, you, know, you binge watching it. And suddenly I was in one myself. Yes, everyone's asking me, are you the girl? Yes, I'm the girl from the Tinder Swindler. And if I would have known back then how big of a phenomenon the Tinder Swindler would become, I would have never guessed it. But to see how many lives it has changed and changed my life as well, I'm just grateful, you can say, for the experience to be here. Because the story started way back in 2018. And who was I at the time? I was in London. I was finishing up my master's in digital experience design. And I had been working in IT for almost 10 years. I had been a UX designer. And I had been working on actually loan applications for the most vulnerable in Norway. And I even won awards for the work I've been doing. So it was a Saturday and I was a bit bored. And what are you doing when you're single? You are on Tinder. So I was swiping, you know, uh, doing what I wanted to, you know, finding, maybe there's someone out there. And then I found this guy, i even blacked out his eyes now on my presentations because I don't even want to see his eyes, <laughs> um, but it's Simon. And he said that he was the son of a billionaire, a diamond mogul. And he was the CEO of this diamond company. We met very quickly, and when you meet Simon Levive, you don't only meet Simon Levive, you're meeting so many people. And the people you meet, he's even using voluntarily or involuntarily. You know, he's from the documentary, uh, you had Peter and Avishai, but he was as well using a lot of other people, for example, a driver that didn't even know that Simon Levive didn't exist. So, is very quick commitment with Simon. He pulls you in. Uh, you might have heard about this infamous uh, private jet trip that I did with this team to Bulgaria on the first date, which is insane. This nice dinner, so you can see the life that he's living is extravagant. But on the flip side, there's danger as well. He had done really well for this diamond company, and his competitors had started to see this and was trying to shut him down. was making death threats. Uh, there was a breaking, I saw a CCTV footage from his apartment in Israel. And as you can see from the text messages, I will tell you when I'm safe. I'm scared for you. It starts, and he had Peter the bodyguard that was kind of watching over him. But he said to me, this will just only be some weeks and everything was gonna be fine. So it was kind of lingering. But I wanted to show a bit of the social engineering, and I'm sorry that it is a bit small here. But it started with a proper love bombing. We call it adult grooming as well, I have to say. hundred red roses. He had never felt this way. The vo- voice notes were like unbelievable. He came solely to also to see me on a private jet one evening. And it was like, I'm a man of my words. I'm coming to see you. But as well, it was, I have to say, emotional abuse with some of the aspects that was happening to me. I and mean, it was proper immersive theater. He got Peter to call him when I was with him in Amsterdam and said they found him, you need to hide, Simon. And we were shutting down the lights and I was with him and I was scared to death. He made, he made me make my Instagram private, <laughs> remove my last name and picture because I was in danger as well. And we have the infamous Copenhagen attack where he said that his enemies was trying to kill him. And it was the reason why he had Peter and he would be dead if it wasn't. So when all this is happening, the favor. You know, we know (laughs) we're in fraud fighters, we do fraud, we know when everything's coming to an end, the favor is coming. And everyone is asking me, why did he ask you for money, he's a billionaire. The request or the favor wasn't for money, it was for security. He said that his enemies had found a way to track him by the use of his card, and if I could just borrow my identity and my card so he could travel untraceable, and they couldn't find him. It was just for a short period of time. At this point in time, he was my boyfriend, and it was such a small favor in the big thing. I didn't feel I was giving him money, but I was giving him security. So what did I do? He said, do you have an American Express card? I didn't. Well, he made me apply for it, He and I got it. You know, It was very easy. It was a two-day thing. I said I made 200,000 pounds per year, no documentation, but this silver card in a very nice letterbox came to my house. And I bet that Simon was pretty happy about that. But I had no credit history in the UK. So what do you do then? I did countless calls to Amex to raise the credit. And I was sending permissions for transfer and the use of card for different reasons. And then I did something I regret to this day. We, in the end, Amex said we need documentation that you have funds or employment. And unfortunately for me, he employed me at his doming company. I trusted when I said, well, if Amex calls, will I be in the employment registry? And he said, yes. So he gave me payslips, which I thought would be okay. But there wasn't. And unfortunately for me, this this documentation was approved, even though my name was spelled wrong. And suddenly I was living in (laughs) New York, even though this was American Express in the UK. I wish that this documentation would never have been approved, (laughs) and that they would just have blocked it. In the end, though, (laughs) American Express understands that I'm not the one using my card because every time they blocked it, you know, I had to call and pretend that I was in Cape Town or somewhere else, even though I was working. So then, what do I do? I give him my, <laughs> high MasterCard, <laughs> sorry. I gave him my Norwegian MasterCard. <laughs> and unfortunately for me, I have a great credit history in Norway. I had a high paying job in IT. I had an apartment in Norway. So that ended up with, if you add in digital identity, that is well known in Norway, I was, Busted! You know, I did countless credit checks, and that ended up with me getting very high consumer debt loans really fast. This is terrible, and this is when I we talk about digital identity and making sure that we have the right identity. Is a lot of talk about that. Even though it was me, it wasn't really me that was applying. I was just the hands of him, which I think makes it so so difficult to realize what is going on for you guys who are trying to catch. So I wanted to show a bit like how fast it actually went. I don't know how you can read this. But on the 27th of March, I took up over $100,000 in one day. And then I lost access to the Amex when they blocked it, but I racked up over $85,000 there. And then on the 3rd of April, I took up, yeah, as you can see almost, Another 70000 So it went really fast. Because in Norway, the different banks couldn't see how many other loans I was getting. So on the 27th of March, I was filling up the American Express. They blocked it. And then I was filling up the... So you're just filling up the credit card for him to use. And it looks insane. And you're wondering, like, why didn't you think what is going on? But this was what's going on every single day. And I was working full time. Every single day, he was texting, calling. The card is blocked. It's just a a horrendous situation. I had never been through that I had to lie for someone. But I was lying because I thought I was saving his life. I know that sounds really weird, but that's what, what it felt like. So sometimes, like, they're questioning me, you know? Like, what are you doing? And I had to text him, and I was just so stressed. Because I really felt that I was doing something right here. And I was so brainwashed that when Amex blocked the card in the end, I sent in a complaint email to them. Like, how could they be accusing to me and say I'm not using my card? And I was questioning if I wanted to be a customer with them anymore. (laughs) So this is what I mean, how brainwashed we are. And this is what it feels like. I'm trying to explain how mentally it might feel like for someone that you're in a wheel that is just spinning and spinning and spinning and you can't get out. So when the sun was setting, I had taken up over nine loans, $250,000 in high consumer debt loans in just 54 days. So as I said, when the sun was setting and the realization was was that he was starting to gaslight me. Like, what made you realize? You know, everyone is asking, what does it take for you to really understand? And it was that he was doing a deal, <laughs> and he put it around that he had lost 73 million. <laughs> this is the guy, you know. And I had only lost 200,000, and they already sent it to me. I contacted then Amex, and they came with special security agents, and they said that this is the long-time Frosters, and I was the last string of three, four women. This was back in May 2018. They know of him. They didn't want to go after me, which made me feel really good. As a victim, you're in a trauma and you need to be looked upon as a human being when this happens. And luckily for me, they did. But this is what it felt like for me. I was drowning, you know. When you suddenly realize that your life is actually over, what are you doing? Luckily for me, I had the support of my family. I went back to Norway to my mom, and this is her handwriting, where she was calling all nine banks to tell them what happened to me. You need proper support, (laughs) and I'm so lucky that I have family that was there for me when I needed it the most. Because when I, in the end, blocked Simon after going to police in Norway, I started getting these threatening messages and emails. And I think one of them here is really important to see. We know you, your family, your friends. He is not alone. So now everyone is talking about Sam Levive. He can't do this by himself. So I was put into acute psychiatric ward in the end because I didn't know what to do. My mom took me there. But the banks were still saying that, I'm so sorry you're in a bad situation, but you still need to pay the invoices that I sent to you, even though that is impossible. So how did it go so wrong? In my opinion, there are three aspects here. It's the lending practices in Norway, which was way too easy. We talk about friction. This was frictionless. It was so easy. Even I said to him, I'm almost scared how easy it is to get loans in Norway without security. No wonder people goes bankrupt here. And I was just thinking that he must be so happy seeing this. Yeah, continue, Cecilia. And with the digital identity, I was left with all the responsibility for the loans because I had signed it, and the digital identity, that's me. And Simon was saying, like, no one cares as long as they get their money because he could use my credit card all over the world and hand it without a single question. So what now? How to get justice? I think one of the biggest reasons why I'm on stages is this message I got back in 2019 from a Norwegian lawyer, saying that they have seen people take their own lives just based on high consumer debt. And then I can only imagine how it would be when it comes to fraud, when it's not even your fault. So I went to the media. What do you do? Thank God for me to have to say. I managed to create and be the foundation of two documentaries about this guy. There's a third as well, and I'm hoping that we can soon be done with making documentaries about this guy and just put him to jail. That would be the best for me. But this went viral all over the place. And you know you get feedback, and I'm on stages, and you get a lot of great things people are saying about the work you're doing. But there's a flip side to this. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of victim blaming. And I think it's one of the key reasons that he's still out there. Because with fraud, I feel there isn't kind of a clear criminal for everyone. I'm a gold digger. I am naive. It's not, it's not Simon's fault that I'm naive. Even some is saying that Simon should hold TEDx talks for men on how to treat women, which is just insane. Simon LeVar is now, as well, He is still on TikTok and on Instagram, verified with his fake identity, (laughs) and are putting out TikToks that the media might hate me, but the public loves me. Thank you for your love, because everyone wanting to take selfies with them. We're making these criminals celebrities, and then you're left with the blame. He's not a fucking magician, as one of these people are saying. He's a criminal who's making death threats. He is dangerous. But what about him? Was he ever in jail? If you could see at the end of the documentary, he was in jail for less than a year because of a fake passport, and then he was sent to Israel for some stuff that he did back in 2011. But not a single European country asked to get him extradited. And by that, all the cases were dropped. And of course, he's been out now for three years, still defrauding people. I've done everything in my power, but there has been some glitches, I have to say, in the justice system here. So what about police? I said I went to Norway, and I went to the UK. I talked about the fake documents. That was a mistake. I became a suspect with the UK police. They came to my apartment with a search warrant, the most traumatic thing I've ever experienced. I had to go into questioning as a suspect with the police as well in person. I had to have a lawyer. I was so scared that I was going to get indicted. And even when he was jailed in Greece, I didn't get any information. Because they said, you're being treated as a suspect. I can't chase this currently, so he can't give me any information about the guy who's made death threats to me. So I had to wait until it was in the public domain before I got to know anything. In the end, they dropped the case against me. But they dropped my case against Simon as well. And he said to me he had to look at whether it was worth prosecuting me to get to him. What's wrong with the laws if you have to go after a victim? And regarding, he had done company fraud in the UK as well. And he told me that that's a farm with serious fraud, that's half a million pounds. So I'm on stages here to show that we need to change how we talk about fraud and romance fraud as well. It's much more than the money lost. The emotional abuse and the coercion that he did towards his victim is serious. And what about the banks? (laughs) Unfortunately for me, uh, four banks took me to court in Norway. So I had to be a defendant in two trials. And I have to say, it was like meeting, is David against Goliath here. And we all know the story. But unfortunately, this story, Goliath won. I lost both my trials because they said I had other opportunities to help Simon than to continue to take up loans. And in court, they had two visions of me. I was either naive, dumb, weak, and in love. But I was as well cunning and hunted for the loans. And I just wanted a rich boyfriend. And I feel like when the, the financial institutions have these two, these don't go together. But still, they won. And unfortunately for me, they start to go after me in the UK where I live with debt collectors. So in the end, I was so distraught that I didn't know what to do. And in the end, I had to file for bankruptcy to be safe. And it's really saved me. A lot of times you feel like bankruptcy must be horrible, but I have to say those years that I actually could just calm down and not have the anxiety of not knowing what's going to dump in your mail. So I have to say. So I'm free from it now. But I still have all my debt in Norway because my Norwegian creditors don't want to join in on the UK bankruptcy. It's a very tricky situation I'm in. So I just want to round up by saying like, when all the eyes are on the victim, that's what I felt like. Every time we were talking about this, we were talking about me. Why did you, what you were doing? Why did you? And I was like, we're forgetting about the criminals here. We're talking about liabilities and we are talking about, you know, the good people. We're talking about who who is responsible. And I was like, well, we know kind of who is responsible. Can we try to talk a bit more about them and why they're doing what they're doing and how easy it is for them? Because this has been terrible for me. But I have to say, (laughs) it can be kind of gloomy, Me, but I have to say the amount of amazing messages and the lives that I have saved By going out there, and as I can say, as they were saying, I put my pride aside and I crawled, (laughs) it's so worth it. To see the reception from people and see fraud victims coming to me and being vulnerable and saying, I don't know where else to turn to, but I'm turning to you because I'm scared, it means the world. And to see as well now, I have to say, thanks to Tinder Swindler, people are more aware. We're talking about education. The amount of people that I just see, oh, this reminds me of the Tinder swindler. Like so many people now, if they're talking to someone, if someone reminds them of the Tinder swindler, they run. And I was like, thank God, (laughs) thank God. (laughs) So I have to, and thanks to it, I have been able to be on stages and do interviews and talk to a lot of banks in the UK. And I am so grateful that they are open and willing to listen to my experience and how we all can learn from it. I even did a TED Talk that is not going to be released because I talked about Simon. <laughs> so that is it. But at least I have the pictures from it. <laughs> and one of my prides and joys is my nonprofit that I'm starting up with my co-founder, Anna uh, Rowe, is on social media as Catch the Catfish. She's been helping fraud victims for several years now, and we are starting it up in the UK. We want this to be an organization by fraud victims, for fraud victims, specializing in romance fraud. So it will be the organization I wish I had, and to actually create change as well. So we already have collaborations with the City of London Police. We've done a webinar for Lloyds, and it's a lot of exciting things to come. So I just want to end it. Everyone is saying, please look at fraud victims as a resource. Let's break down the silos. I know we talk about it. I'm not the one to do it. But please, I'm talking from someone who has been at the bottom. I'm on the rise. But please, let us challenge each other and collaborate. So because I really want to remove the stigma. And by me being on stage, I really hope we can do that. Thank you so much. If you don't have questions, it's fine. I I think, as as I said, I'm just wondering because my main bank in Norway, they saw all the funds going in and out and I know that I talked to several of you yesterday about you know, seeing changes in patterns, it was a clear change in my pattern. Like I never traveled that much, never done business class, so I just think continue with the great work you're doing, but realize as well that no one is perfect, and I, even though we, we say we, we check documents, but I, I have the proof that it, at least in my case it didn't happen. What the banks could have done more I feel as well is that when, understand that you're in a trauma, <laughs> when you have realized you've been defrauded, and give us time. Because I think my how bad it went for me economically, it could have been so much better if the banks could have said, "We'll give you some time to actually build yourself up mentally, so you can handle your finances." Um, Because it was just a hunt to go to debt collectors, you know, and and take uh, and that was you're not in the right headspace because you think about the emotional. You had a boyfriend that never existed, and I think it's important to remember that it's not just the money. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> I wish uh sorry if Amex is in there, but I wish that Amex never would have given me the platinum card. I think that was the start of the start of it all, you know. Uh, without any documentation you send a platinum card, so yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry if there's any <laughs> Last question. So I, I, to that point. You know, we deal with victims on a regular basis, and they don't believe us when we tell them. So what, in that situation, what do you think would have jolted through for you not to believe that this person, that you're in love with, is in danger? Like, what could have been sent you at that moment to break the spell? And this is what I mean. This is a much bigger thing. I totally get why it is really, really difficult. It's not a one-size-fits-all because everyone's so different, and diff- so this is why, for example, Santander UK. I think you should reach out. They have a break the spell team in the UK, so you should really reach out how they're working because I think that I haven't spoken to them, but it, they put out some in media, and I really want to talk to them, and that is part of what my organizations want to do as well: is that take on some of these more difficult cases. So when you say to them, because you're the bank, you know. It's a bit difficult sometimes, you know, when you've done something and when I gave my card, you know, I shouldn't, I have done something wrong. So you're scared. So I think that is why I'm thinking with my organization, if we can take care of them, because it might take weeks, it might take days. You might send them reverse image searches. It's all these type of things that you don't have time like, or shouldn't. Like, <laughs> will you have time? Will you, your employer gave, give you time to do that? You know, that is because that's what needs to be done. Because you're, as I say, you're in the wheel and you don't want to admit to yourself. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Good talk.